It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our host, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Record in progress. Record. <laughs> Hi. That's it. We're up. We're, We're up. We're going. I don't know why that made like a funny little like childish tune in my head. Maybe it was because we were talking about booster seats right we before I said that. Of course you did. <laughs> and so it tur- turned into this little like, <laughs> oh dear, the heat has fried our brains. Um, <laughs> how are you doing today? I'm good, actually. Yeah, you have stayed inside today. Uh, not because I didn't want to go do the bees in the morning, but uh, because I was busy doing other things. And and then this afternoon, it's like 102, 103. So I'm not going anywhere. Plus, I'm talking to you. Yeah, there you go. Yay for me. Um, how was your holiday? You know, since I'm not supposed to work on Sundays and holidays, I took advantage of that to kind of uh, pick up my garage, pick up my house, just kind of do things. I know it's not doesn't sound very fun, but I needed to do it. And it's for me, it's kind of like uh, resourcing because I never have the time to do any of that stuff. So now all of a sudden I'm just taking advantage of that. And, you know, and I can't get out in the afternoons anyway because it's too hot and not not doing work with the bees when it's too hot anyway. Absolutely. I agree with that one. Sneak out. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially if you have top bars, that's a no, no. You do not go work a top bar in the dead heat of the day. Cause your comb will fall off the bar and you will cry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It becomes really tricky, really fast, but it, it, you know, in all practical uh, reality, you shouldn't be working your bees, whether you've got any kind of hives and if you have foundation or not, it's just very stressful for the bees to, to do that. And they get very cranky actually. That's true. It's also stressful for the beekeeper because if you're in a suit and it's 110 degrees, uh, there's heat stroke, heat exhaustion, dehydration. I mean, yeah, you know, there's means- enough challenges as it is. You don't need to add to that for certain. Just get up in the morning. Yeah. Early. Get up early. Yeah. Was the one thing I never understood about Ken. He got out of bed at like 4 a.m. every freaking day. And yet he'd complain, it's too hot to get out there and do stuff. I'm like, get your ass out of the house at four o'clock when you wake up and it wouldn't be too hot. (laughs) If I I was up at 4 a.m. every day, I would do bees when it gets daytime. That's the problem. The limiting factor at this point is the sunlight, right? 6 a.m. That's true. uh, It's basically as early as you can be in the bees. That's that's about the time it starts breaking the horizon on the sunlight. So speaking of Mr. Ken, um, this is... uh, a jumping point to our segue into the actual topic for today. Um, Mr. Ken sent me a message and it was, I'm going to say it was very fat fingered because I had to do some interpreting <laughs> to try to get <laughs> what was, what words were supposed to really be there versus the ones that were there. Cause the ones that were there didn't make any sense, but he was basically reiterating the fact that According to him, and so according to Ken, everybody put on your according to Ken hat because and mm. grab a grab a thing of salt. Um, all of the colonies that they have requeened with purchased queens have died because they cannot deal with the mites 
and all of the colonies that they've left alone and are headed by what we call the redheaded mutts, this is the feral mixed genetics, are doing fantastic. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of like, well, I mean. I it, actually, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I do tend to, I, I, I think that what he's trying to say is that the survivor stock is doing fantastic and the ones that he used breeder queens or, or commercial queens into didn't do well right and actually that makes sense to me that is I mean, that is a true statement yeah. but i always it, it's just like let's rewind to like episode five <laughs> the truth is <laughs> did you check your colonies have you opened the hive did you look inside the box not at the porch <laughs> mm -hmm. so so my thing is like it's very easy to lump everything together into the mites cause the problem. What I always have to question is, are you certain it was the mites? Did you do mite counts? Have you done a check to know that you had high mite levels or did the colony starve or did they swarm and the new queen got gobbled up by something? And so they went queenless and they, they went down a spiral that way. Like you can't just definitively make a blanket statement that every single oh. one of your colonies that had a purchased queen died because of mites. Because I know for a fact he is not out there doing my checks. No. And I don't know how many colonies he's uh, looking at. However, I don't either because he won't tell me. Oh, because he probably knows he's got a lot less, fewer colonies than, yeah. I well, have asked. I, I think we talked about this the last time I asked. All I got back was a thumbs up. And I was like, yeah. what the hell does that mean? <laughs> well, this, this being said, uh, I would say even if he's not opening any of those hives, if he's got several colonies that he's looking at, he knows all these over there are survivor stock. All these over there have been reclaimed, and I'm just. You're just knocking things everywhere. Knocking she's, things over. she's just with her hands, folks, and anything in the way is just getting trashed. Falling off, and I think I've had honey because I have honey in my office, so I'm picking it up before I keep going. <laughs> but um, the the comparison is still informative, right? Because he doesn't know what uh, is really killing them. What he's seeing, though, he knows these are requeened hives. He knows these are not requeened hives, and he's seeing more failure on the ones that are requeened. So it's still telling him something, right? That the survivor stocks and undisrupted are, are doing a lot better, which also is logical to me. But it also says to me that the ones you screwed with are the ones that died. And That's so, true. so I have to say, are you sure that the queen was released? Are you sure that the queen was accepted? Did she ever start laying? How far into that process of requeening? did they go before you had the issues right. you know like so that like i said there's so many questions no, it's like an endless because of the mites. No. yeah he doesn't he doesn't know for sure and and certainly not for all of them <laughs> right uh, but it's well. still also at the same time proves a point that when you don't mess with your bees as much then you might have you right. know you well, sometimes direction. sometimes we are the problem mm -hmm. over Often. over managing them can cause more opportunity for the queen to get lost or rolled or smashed Press. or dropped or stepped on yeah. or stressed or anything. Um, now I will point out too, though, cause this is very, like I said, this is very kin whenever he treated. And I think it was, he was testing with hop guard mm -hmm. and he made a blanket statement. And he told me this two weeks in a row that all of the colonies that he treated died. Was it true? No. 
because I told him to go out there and open one of them up and I'll be damned if there wasn't an entire colony still alive in there. He just didn't happen to see any coming and going be- from the front porch. So he so said they were we dead. So basically we can't face any kind of conclusion uh, on, on what he sent you. So that's why I say, take this with a grain of salt, grab your, grab your salt pitcher. And uh, it's a, it's a, as Ken said story. Um, so now where, how is this a jumping off point? So technically what we're talking about today is a continuation of the Australian yeah. traumatic experience, traumatic, traumatic experience that's going on um, with varroa mite. And that's, that's where that segue kind of comes in. There is the varroa mite aspect of it. So today specifically, we will post this article in the description for the show so that you can go in there and take a look at it. The opening part of the article itself is a little jarring and I, and you know, kudos to them. Great marketing, because that actually is what caught my attention. And this made the rounds is something that you saw, Natalie, and you, you posted it out there for people on, uh, one of the either be mindful Facebook or something um, pinned it up to the page. And uh, my mom sent it to me, had a couple other beekeepers send it to me. I saw it in my newsfeed. So it's, it's out there. It's making the circuit. Um, but the title of it says, hear me out. We could use the Varroa mite to wipe out feral honeybees and help Australia's environment. That right there is a triggering statement in, in multiple <laughs> directions, right? Without even going through and reading face. the whole article, it is a clickbait and clickbait. it worked. So I said, yeah. It, you know, kudos to them because it made me go, what? <laughs> and I clicked on it. So we will post that out there for everybody to go through and read and you can come up with your opinions and stuff on it. But in a nutshell, what they're saying is there are pros and cons. They do give both sides. They give the downside to if the mite was just allowed to run rampant and they give an upside to if the mite was allowed to run rampant. And then they look at what would it take to try to fight the mite versus if they took those same resources and used it to sort of help the mite kill colonies on purpose uh, to help lessen the amount of honeybees. So just like almost everywhere else on the planet, European honeybees are not native to Australia. So that Western honeybee is not supposed to be there, just like it's not supposed to be in the United States. It was brought over for the same purposes and same reasons um, for Australia. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say for Australia, it's about 200 years ago. And that non-native species can outcompete some of your native species. And does. There's, you know, pros and cons to different aspects of it. We use the honeybee for agriculture and we focus on different crops that they are very, very, very productive and do well at. But in the wildflower universe, there are certain things that they pay more attention to other things that they ignore. I will say though, that just because the honeybee ignores it, there are that, that kind of does go back and the article doesn't mention that, but it does go back to the fact that, sorry, it's buzzing again. (laughs) That broke my concentration. I saw it flash up. Um, That does go back to the fact that Honeybees, while they may focus on this, there are specialized individual native bees that also focus on specific plants. So for us in the United States, a tomato plant is primarily focused on by sweet bees, little bitty guys that are beautifully colored, and bumblebees, because those are the ones that have the strategic means to bust apart the pollen that is tightly packed inside the stamen and the pistil of the plant. They vibrate at such a frequency and pitch that it causes those to burst apart. And that's what allows them to go through and take that pollen. A honeybee will not touch a tomato plant. So there are specialists out there for all different types of flowers. But I think, I, I okay, so 
this is my this is my my educated opinion here, and then I'm just going to stop talking and, and let you loose on this topic. <laughs> if you allow the mite to just do its thing and you don't do anything, yes, you are going to reduce the feral bee population. And you are also going to cause problems for all the beekeepers because the mites are not just going to spread to the feral. They're going to spread to the managed hives and stuff as well. However they're not all going to die and vanish. It's not like, oh, this thing's going to come in and it's going to kill them all. And that solves our problem. What you're going to do is allow nature to take its course. And just like has happened in many other countries, the bees will evolve and adapt and learn how to deal with the mite. And now you're just going to have feral colonies that are okay with the mite. <laughs> right. And that's the survival of the fittest. That's right. the bond method from Dr. John Kiefus. That's uh, just really just, let them if you did nothing they would eventually bounce back and it doesn't even take that long however the economical impact is very uh, present um, for the agricultural industry especially and the pollination contracts that the australian beekeepers they're doing the same thing that as american beekeepers the commercial ones are doing they're uh, transporting the bees through the country to pollinate almond orchards or or apple fields and cherry fields. Um, so there's a, there's an economical impact on Australian agriculture and our and their food supply because honestly this is going to increase their prices for vegetables and fruits that are pollinated by honeybees if there's a vacuum into that field. And that's a double whammy with what's happened with COVID, right? There's already and and, and the war in you in Ukraine where gas prices are already much higher and then your food prices are already higher and now if you put that whammy we're behind it at least right we're mitigating it and it's not that bad in the united states uh whereas what, what has Australia, it been like 30 30 something years? years at the uh, end of the 80s is when they they showed up yeah. and um it, it just takes a while to stabilize and for the parasite to just kind of find a balance with the the host and they're going to be their first couple of three years is going to be really tough. It's going to wipe out a lot of colonies, especially in the feral population that do contribute to that um, pollination, right? And um, that uh, means that the population of honeybees that are commercially managed will need to pick up the slack and they will also be at a, exposed and at a disadvantage. And plus, right now, they are not going to be able to move if they're trying to contain the threat, the incursion. Right. Right. Yeah, they're so, they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't, because if they let the honey, if they let the mites run rampant and take out the feral colonies, like I said, it's going to spread all the way across the continent and it will infiltrate all of the managed hives, which then means they have to do something, some sort of control or something to keep the managed hives alive and going. But at the same time, the, 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 the track that they are taking the path that they are taking today is quarantine and destroying. They are, they are treating the varroa mite the way we treat Amer American foul brood. So if a colony in that quarantine area is found to have the mite, the whole thing's destroyed. It's gone. And the, it's like, that is going to cause an impact. Even if the mite doesn't spread, now you've got hives that are locked down. You've got hives that are destroyed. And so that's going to have an impact as well. So it's, it's literally a damned if you do damned, if you don't, it's a, which, you know, like uh, choose the lesser of the evils kind of scenario. 
Yeah. So there's three main steps to an invasion of a pest or parasite, uh, and, and it is impact on the economy. First is the introduction of the pests, which obviously it has been introduced because it has been found on the ground. Then there's the establishment. So we don't know where we sit in that establishment phase. Uh, because it could be still controllable or it might be well beyond the initial uh, uh, incursion areas. And then there's the spread, right? So we don't know if we're at the establishment or the spread level, and we don't know if we can intervene, if they can intervene, it's not us, but if they can intervene and control that, um, as that uh, population of pests before it spreads throughout the country. So we don't even know. And, and so what they're doing is a last-ditch effort right now to try to stop it before it spreads, although there's no guarantee that it hasn't already spread. Right. Um, so. Right. That's the, the fact that it showed up in one of those monitoring colonies doesn't mean that, well, first off, if they're there, period, and that was the first stop, but say it's been three weeks since they checked that colony for anything and actually found the mite. In that time frame, a pregnant female mite leaves the hive on the back of a worker bee and that bee goes off and goes to a flower or goes to a food source where there's a lot of bees crowded up. That mite can go from one bee to the next or can go to the flower. And then when the next bee lands, get on the bee and go to the new colony yeah. right there. Boom. It starts. It spreads. Or inside that colony, it just so happened that they were ready to swarm. And now not only did that mite leave but a lot of them left with the bees. And so you've got a colony that's infected and a swarm that's infected that goes off and sets up a feral colony somewhere. And then that colony, depending on the time of year and the flow, that colony could even send out a swarm. Plus, then you've got the foragers going back and forth. So it's, well, first, for instance, you said like we're on the back end of this thing and COVID has caused lots of issues. We still, like we know the area that COVID came from, but we still don't know where COVID came from and how it got out there. And the mite is very, very similar. You're never necessarily going to be able to pinpoint find ground zero. We know the region, but we don't know the colony it started in. And we don't know how it got to that colony because it had to meet the mainland in one form or fashion through some sort of transport or something. So yeah, is it is it truly just been there for a few weeks? Has it been there for a few months and they just noticed or it just got to that colony? Look, history tells us the likelihood of uh, them finding a mite in a monitoring uh, hive and that those mites not having spread already uh, silent, silently uh, is very low. They just probably are, this is the tip of the iceberg and they're just now noticing and those mites are probably already there. I, I had to be the bearer of bad news, but that's my personal instinct. Yeah. This being said, if they manage to stop the spread and it might slow it down quite a bit, the amount of colonies they're going to euthanize is going to um, um, slow down that spread anyway, whether it's already in the wild or not. Uh, the other aspect of it, and that's where that article is touching upon, is that if you let it uh, ran, uh, run rampant into the feral population and potentially uh, make sure that those bees are, are um, affected, you, what happens is that you destroy a lot of the feral colonies which have no intervention, no um, treat, treatments, and, and just no management from human beings. So they're going to definitely crash like they did in New Zealand, like they did in the United States. Probably about 90% of them will disappear. 
and then uh, either through the remaining ones that are surviving that that initial shock or uh, like you mentioned um, managed hives um, swarms or um, uh, escapees that uh, absconds basically that end up uh, repopulating the wild uh, you're going to have that increase in population um, of, of uh, bees again in the in the wild so you're going to see a, an increase in the feral uh, yeah. again but the point that he's making is that by destroying the feral colonies um, it's there's a, only so much food for everybody to eat right so he's arguing that if you allow for the uh, destruction or near destruction of the feral populations of honeybees that takes that pressure off of the native bees that really need a kind of uh, all the help they can get basically to bounce back because uh, they've already been through a lot of uh, competition pressure, pesticide pressure, lack of habitat, lack of food uh, increasing, and also the wild, the fires, the wildfires that you had in Australia uh, a couple of years ago. So they're in bad shape. And those honeybees, which are not native, have been competing for the resources to, uh, to, to the point that, you know, they are pollinating just about everything. And also, to his point, sometimes invasive species. Yeah, they're and pollinating, pollinating the things some that of the they don't want. Yeah, that take specialized uh, work. Uh, to your point earlier, so that's kind of where he's going to. But I think that it's a uh, what is very important to do is to realize, and hopefully it's not too late. Hopefully, the Australian government had the heads up from the New Zealand government that's been through. They're ahead of them in what's happened. And uh, what happened is that they didn't have all the information that they needed about their native bees populations and how they were contributing to the pollination of their uh, wild and managed crops, right? So I think that uh, hopefully the Australian government uh, has been doing those studies and is able to see uh, really what's happening and what's gonna happen once the pest takes a hold. The point is that you really don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, right? If all your pollination is happening through mostly honeybees, and then something like the pest of the varroa destructor comes in and wipes out your population of honeybees, then you have a lot less pollinators able to help you out, especially when you manage crops, right? So it's important to really, I think in the end, in the future, and that's true for all countries, is to try to mitigate that monopoly that the honeybees have on pollinating specific uh, human crops. Because if there's any kind of pest or parasite or pathogen that comes in, and it happens regularly, especially through our world being a, a global economy, um, then you're going to have another wave that's going to hit every time you're going to hit your, your crops. Whereas if you try to balance it out so that it's a combined effort from native bees and honeybees uh, and you don't use just honeybees and beekeepers to pollinate your crops, then you're going to have more resilience. It's kind of like that, uh, genetic diversity. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it breeds vigor, right? And, right? and if you've got an impoverishment, you've got in, inbreeding and um, uh, depression, right? So I think it behooves us and it behooves the Australian government to uh, keep that in mind, especially if uh, they can control it still uh, and it's not too far spread. There you go. 
So there's there's uh, your advice from people on the top of the world who uh, literally because you're upside down in Australia. On the we're, other side of the yeah, world. I don't yeah, think we're, we're on the top. Of we're the not world. like, I'm on the top of the world, but, you know, like up and down kind of thing. <laughs> so very American of you. <laughs> yeah, I would. You know, like so I'm sure that Ken was dancing for joy if he saw this not too long ago. They launched one of the first space rockets from Australia to go up on some mission. And oh. I could not help. But remember the joke that uh, Jacob yes. had sent in and Ken just ran with forever about you just untie the rocket and let it fall off the planet because right. y'all are on the bottom. Um, so, you know, I got to get that in there for him. It just wouldn't wouldn't be right otherwise. So, uh, yeah. yeah. A lot of mileage out of that joke. <laughs> yes, initially. he did. Yeah. That and swarms and toilets going the wrong direction. Yes. It's <laughs> like his his favorite hangups on like his focus. <laughs> See, I know you miss him because that's you're reminiscing. <laughs> well, it was only because of that message that came through that I was like, <laughs> that's, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, my phone goes off and I look at it and then I have to stare at it for quite a bit trying to decipher what on earth is he saying? Um, and then I finally, I finally got it. It was the whole redheaded mutts are surviving and the, the requeen ones are not. So, um, but anyhow, back, back to the point at hand here, uh, it's again, we can sit here and we can talk about it because we've been going through it for 30 years. Uh, however you and, and the Australian government chooses to handle it is it's, that's up to you guys, but we definitely feel for the people right now that don't have a choice that are in the quarantine zones or in the kill zones where, they're being told that their hives have to be destroyed just to be careful and be safe. Um, I have seen a few things out there about potential compensation, not, not necessarily complete, you know, refunding, but there has been some talk out there about them trying to do something to help compensate the beekeepers that are in that firing range, basically. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's damned if you do, damned if you don't. And we feel for you for certain. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we know all about it. <laughs> well, and it's going to get some uh, beekeepers out of business. Uh, definitely some backyard beekeepers um, because, you know, it's hard to mitigate. Um, there's ways. We talked about it. Oh, by the way, I sent you the uh, recording for the Natural Beekeeping Corner that talks about this very subject. Um, yeah, that's a yeah. that's that's kind of a that's kind of a funny, timely um so I've been uber busy this week and uh, the Monday was a holiday. And so I didn't yeah. even cross my mind. So the yeah. first episode for like a natural beekeeping corner on the main segment episode will actually probably come out um, either tomorrow, today. Technically, y'all are listening to this on Wednesday at the very earliest, if not later, uh -huh. depending on when you pick it up. Uh -huh. But this comes out on Wednesday. Today, we're recording this on a Tuesday. And normally, the Natural Beekeeping Corner comes out on a Monday. So now that I got y'all confused about what day of the week it is. Uh, are they confused enough yet? <laughs> this may come out uh, in tandem with this episode, or it may come out after this episode. But there will be a Natural Beekeeping Corner. And uh, I have not had a chance to go through and, and peruse it as of yet. But I kind of have a feeling that it might also be talking about Australia. It absolutely is. And we're trying to give some advice on how they can help their bees using uh, more natural interventions. That is true for whatever pests and pathogens, but mostly it is true for the, the, the varomites because we have a lot of experience with this. It's been with us for a long time. So we're trying to explain how you might consider looking once this the uh, the try for stopping the incursion um is given up 
if it's spreading already. At some point, that effort gets given up. But if that's the case, then there's other ways that you can uh, help your bees, including uh, uh, letting them follow their cycles of brood breaks and contractions and expansion, uh, natural comb, uh, propolis, encourage propolis use, uh, and just kind of um, allowing for the strongest of your colonies to keep going. So there's a lot of information that we're putting out, out there. Well, and some of the things for everybody listening here on Patreon too that go into play are counterintuitive to everything that you've ever necessarily uh, learned or thought about with beekeeping for the simple fact that most all that stuff, as we've mentioned many times before, is written from the viewpoint of a commercial beekeeper, which yes. is more, 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 bigger, 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 go, go, go. And mm -hmm. in reality, a smaller colony has less disease and less parasites. Mm -hmm. And a colony that is not forced to grow or continue a brood pattern cycle whenever it's actually in the time of dearth or dearth is coming, when they're allowed to do the natural ebb and flow of nature, also has less disease and less pa less pathogens because they're following the natural flow that they're supposed to instead of us forcing them to go. It's it's like your human body, if you go, 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 go nonstop constantly and you never stop to take a break, eventually your body will decide it's going to force you to stop and take a break and you will get sick with something. So you mm -hmm. literally just come to a screeching halt. And it's the same thing. You push them too far, they get stressed out and that's that. So yeah. Yeah. I hate to anthropomorphize, but it's like you keep feeding your body and you tax your liver. It's exhausted. You get, you know, fat and everything. But that also introduces a lot of diseases and, and allowing to go, you're allowing your body to go through a period of fast or cleansing in the form of a brood break. Then that allows you to purge a lot of those issues. And in this case, you're really slowing down the uh, increase in population of the mites. So there's all kinds of things that we talk about on this. But in the grand scheme of things, look, uh, the US has been doing this for over 30 years now, and they've tried a treating way and it hasn't worked. It doesn't right. make a difference. Uh, what has worked, however, is developing strains of survivor stock that's local to your area. And, and that's kind of, of what they're finally circling around and looking at with some of their discoveries and when uh, a lot of beekeepers have been doing it for years i mean yeah. the, the weavers they've lost a lot of hives initially and they, they bred from the survivors and now they don't treat anything right so it's just what you do you want to stay on the treatment treadmill or do you want to just bite the bullet now for a faster recovery and but i'm not going to get in there because this is not the natural big big corner no 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 no, no. but <laughs> i mean it is <laughs> it is it is a good point though that if you stop and you think about it for you and i both both of us are master beekeepers mm -hmm. and both of us have never known beekeeping without the mic right now there are other older generational beekeepers that were doing like Les, for instance, Les has seen every side of it. Les started beekeeping when he was yes. very, very young. And mm -hmm. he has worked his way from where there were no mites up through like actually where there was a lot of things different, no mm -hmm. mites, no hive beetles, things like that. And moving up into these worlds of, well, now there's commercial beekeeping and here's the chemicals that are used. And then now there's these parasites and these other things. And then He's gone clear through that and out the other side, and he has had to learn and adapt. And he has also been able to take his knowledge from his youth and mm -hmm. put that into practice today. But there's a lot of beekeepers out there. You know, you listen to us every week and 
we have never known a world without the Varroa mites. So right. you guys have been uber lucky in that regard. And it's unfortunately, you know, no longer the case now, but we're here like that. That's the only way we've known it. That's our world is, is dealing with the Varroa mite. So Look, you will survive. Yeah, look, if I can offer words of hope uh, is that the, the bees, they find their balance. And whether it was American fowl brood or the mites or the small hive beetles, what Les has taught me and what I've seen from my, with my very own eyes is that uh, the bees will find a way to take care of their issues if you let them. And if you remove the pressure of the pests or the pathogens, then you're not giving them that opportunity to develop their own strategies. And, and that means your bees remain weaker because of it. And you're propagating genetics that are not adaptable, that are not the pressure. It's like any virus, your body, your immune system, right? So you, you end up developing in the end when you've been exposed enough times. The question is really, where is the balance? Uh, for human beings, it's not like uh, honeybee colonies, right? Uh, they have cycles that are much, much faster of reproduction and individual brood uh, reproduction as well. And so they're, they're exponentially faster at dealing with issues. And in the grand scheme of things, a colony of honeybee is not the same value as a human life, right? So we've got other constraints as humans that we need to take. I just don't want people to run with us and say, well, that's why you shouldn't vaccinate and get into that whole thing. <laughs> we've right? already, we've already done that. We we've, about it before. we've already done that. We already had that. That was like, what was that? That uh, was that one episode 20... in the response to you. I was like, I, won't, I don't want yeah. you to guess. I think that's what I'm saying at all. That was like yeah. 20, 2020, 2021, yeah. that one of the listeners like had had some yeah. stark reaction to one of the natural beekeeping episodes. Yeah. Uh, but that's the truth though. Like you're 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 talking about a insect that goes through multiple life cycles and multiple generations, sometimes in a year, let alone right. a hundred year span, right? right? You know, so you you've got a faster track of evolution there that can actually be seen as it plays out and as they pick up these different abilities. And that's one of the whole aspects of hybrid vigor to begin with is mm -hmm. mating with multiple sources from the, the queen bee and the drones brings yeah. in these different aspects that they yeah. can utilize. And that's why like, you know, there may be a fifth of the population that all have this genetic profile and it may never be needed until it is. And a fifth yeah. of those bees have the capability to then adapt and say, oh, oh, don't worry guys, I got this, I got this. You know, yes. like I'll step up now and I'll, I'll help this. And then it evolution will push you one way or the other towards, well, the ones that did have more of that right. quality benefit and survive and, and thrive. So right. in the grand scheme of things, uh, a queen goes mating with about 15, it's a, 20 it's, drones. That's it's a lot. A lot. Of it's a lot more. It's a lot more than that, actually. Yeah. I, uh, extreme <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, when they're healthy and they mate well and, and all the stuff, but that's the average The 15 to 20 is the average, right? It's, so in it's reality, the, it's the average, uh, the average number of different individualized semen samples found inside the spermatheca, but that is a very small organ and mm -hmm. it is theorized that she is mating with way more than that. Right. But those are 40, just, 45, yeah, yeah, those are just the ones that the genetic material actually was able to be stored and contained. Right. Um, so you, you can have, you know, odd little nuances in there, but there's also the other things too. This is like way the hell off topic, but uh, there's also, there's also the aspect too of like the Royal bloodlines, which at right. first we didn't know existed. And now it's like, Oh, wait a minute. There are these genetic 
markers that are only expressed in certain queens and certain drones, but never in the worker. Mm -hmm. And why is that? And how is that? Because the queen, like she's got genetic control, but she doesn't have that kind of genetic control. And, you know, then you find out, well, technically it's there, but the workers remove it unless they're making queens. And then they specifically select for it, which means there's a whole nother level of intuition and how well they can smell and detect and sense I bet it's all based it's on smell. They can crazy. probably smell on the eggs, you know, if it's got that uh, royal lineage or something. But that's yeah. just, you know, research hasn't demonstrated that. That's no, just no. my instinct. It's, I guess. But that, like you said, it's the tip of the iceberg. And there's so much already going on that we could never wrap our heads around. So letting nature take its course, even though it may look brutal and horrific at first, it will they will actually rebound from that. There will be bees that will actually be able to adapt and, and it, it's scary. It's scary. It's scary, but it'll be okay. It just may be tough for a little while, but you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll do good. Yeah. And that's the, the message of this all is that in the end, you know, it's, it's traumatic at first. It's scary because we all imagine it's going to be the end of the world for our bees. And it's not in the end um, the case, because if you look at New Zealand, the number of managed hives hasn't really decreased. Uh, what has decreased, however, is the number of beekeeping enterprises. Uh, so basically, there's a concentration and the, the good beekeepers are going to remain. The, the ones that are able to sustain the economic impact are going to remain. And that's just the Bottom line, it's just uh, another way to weed out. It's a natural selection there that's happening as well. And it's kind of sad. And, and then, you know, from that standpoint, I'm sorry for the ones that have to get out of that um, beekeeping commercially anyway. Um, but, you know, the, in the grand scheme of things, you guys are going to come out on the other side and you're still going to have bees and they're still going to be okay. That's right. So take those words of wisdom and, and, hopes and prayers and good vibrations and uh just take it and one day at a time that's we right feel we, for, yeah we do we're we're we, all wholeheartedly with you guys we know what it's like absolutely we're we live it every day mm-hmm. <laughs> well thank you everybody for tuning in we greatly appreciate it and uh we look forward to talking to you again next week but as always be good and just be mindful bye-bye everybody bye guys This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you, and we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.